If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open with me to John chapter 15 this morning. John 15, and this morning we come to the last message in our I Am series, where we have set aside eight weeks to just listen and I pray respond to some pretty heavy claims of Christ, where Jesus without a doubt claimed to be God over and over again saying, I am, I am, I am, I am, basically saying, I am God. And my prayer throughout this whole series is that we would behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, and through beholding him, we would be transformed by what we see, by what we hear, just grabbing a hold of that. And there is great transformation, there's great grace in what we have seen and what we have heard throughout this series we said before, if you walked in this room devoid of life, you have, you have heard him say, I am the bread of life. If you've been here feeling lost in darkness, you've heard him say, I am the light of the world. If you've walked in here feeling uncared for, you've heard him say, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life um, for my sheep. If you've been here and been in desperate need of a fresh start. You've heard him say, I am the door. I'm the door. Enter in to me. For those who felt lost, you've heard him say, I am the way. For those who felt confused, you've heard him say, I am the truth. For those who felt under the curse of death, you've heard him say, I am the resurrection and the life. And what we have seen um, from taking this long and glorious look at our Savior is that we are so sinful, and he is so gracious. He's so gracious. We are so weak, and he is forever strong. We are so prone to hopelessness, yet he is our hope. Whatever we're not, whatever we need, whatever we're not getting from other people, he is. And just think about this. Because he is, it takes the pressure off of us to have to be. So because he is, we don't have to be. As we said on the very first week, we said, I am not, but I know I am. That's the whole goal of this. We're not, and we don't have to be, because he is. So this morning, we're going to hear Jesus say, I am the true vine. And we're about to jump into John 15, but as we jump into it, I want you to keep in mind that what Jesus is saying here and where Jesus is in, in the history of redemption is he is less than 24 hours from being arrested and crucified. So what he is saying, he is saying these things knowing that he is about to die. And he is saying these things, as we said before, continuing to go after the heart of his followers. He's trying to go after the heart of his disciples. And I would say this, he's also trying to go after our hearts this morning. And I just pray that he would capture them today in a very real way. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read John 15 verses 1 through 11 together. And then dive into just this rich text together. So verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit." And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning through your Son, thanking you, O God, that you sent your Son to be and to do what we could never be or do. And because Jesus has done it all, we don't have to. We don't have to to try. We don't have to to keep working towards perfection. We don't have to keep giving ourselves to one failed attempt after another failed attempt to be good. All we have to do is trust and rest, O God, in what you have done for us through your Son. Help us to see that today, to see Jesus as the, the true vine, to see ourselves as branches that have no life in us. And help us, oh God, if not ever before, to this day be the day that we as a branch attach ourselves to the life of your Son. Lord, do today what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. So when we think about these teachings, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when you think about the teachings of Christ, it's good for us to remember that Jesus never taught in a vacuum. And what I mean by that is every time Jesus spoke, he wasn't just blurting out random or unrelated things. Jesus all of a sudden wasn't just random in what he was doing. And if we're not, if we're not careful, we miss the context. We miss the setting of the events that are going on that are, that are prompting Jesus to say what he says. I mean, just think about this. In John 6, what led Jesus to say, I am the bread of life? And when we read John 6, we realize that John, Jesus had just fed 5,000 um, with five loaves and two fish, and, and all of a sudden the people are following because they want more. They want more food. And Jesus looks at them and says, no, you, you need me. You don't need food. You need me. Or what, why in the middle of a conversation in John chapter 8 did Jesus say, I am the light of the world? And then we read it and we realize that Jesus is standing in a court in the middle of the temple in a time where the Jews were celebrating the Feast of Weeks, a time where they remembered and celebrating, celebrated God leading his people in the wilderness by a pillar of fire by night. And so Jesus is saying in the midst of this, I am the light of the world. Or as we saw last week, why in John 11 did Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life? And we, that one's pretty easy, right? Because there was a guy who was dead. And so Jesus shows up and says, I am the resurrection, I am the life. So every time Jesus speaks, there's always context, there's always purpose. So when we come to John 15, the last of the I am statements, what prompts Jesus to say, I am the true vine? Why does he say that? And if you look back at the last verse in chapter 14, so if you look at chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus says, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then listen to what he says. Rise, 
Let us go from here. And that word rise is, is interestingly enough, it is a call to arms. Jesus was, in essence, was saying, let us go meet our enemy on the battlefield. It's pretty interesting when you hear it in that way. But here's what is happening. It appears that Jesus and his disciples, the 11 of them minus Judas, um, were now leaving the upper room. And they are on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would pray this amazing prayer, not my will but yours be done. So they're walking in um, the moonlight towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And it is without a doubt that as Jesus walked through the garden, led his disciples to the garden that they would have walked through so many vineyards that were all around Jerusalem. So it just makes sense that Jesus probably took time to pick a vine to turn to his disciples and say, I am the true vine. It just kind of makes sense. And there's so much imagery here that probably doesn't strike us the way it would have struck um, the disciples as they heard it or anyone living in the first century. For when Jesus said, I am the true vine, this was a statement that was loaded in meaning. And what I mean by that is this. Throughout the Old Testament, the imagery of the vine always pointed to the people of God, always pointed to Israel, always pointed to his people. Yet, every time it's used, every time the people of Israel are called the vine, it's always used in a negative sense. If you don't believe me, read Psalm 80 or read um, Isaiah chapter, chapter 5. I think Jeremiah 2 as well. Read those. And it's always accompanied by a declaration of the people of God that you are the vine and you're not bearing fruit. So God, all through the Old Testament, calls his people the vine. And then he says, and you're not bearing fruit. You're not being fruitful. Yet Jesus, in saying, I'm the vine, is turning this all upside down. He's turning it on his head. For in saying, I am the true vine, what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, I am doing what you cannot do. And I am being what you cannot be. Just think about that. Jesus is saying, you had the opportunity to bear fruit and you couldn't do it. Therefore, I am doing what you can't do. So what I want us to do this morning is we're going to unpack three truths that relate to Jesus as the true vine. And let me go ahead and apologize from the beginning. Um, I feel like I'm gonna, we're going to be all over the place today, which is maybe, maybe every week we're all over the place. I'm not really sure. Um, if, if we are, then we're going to be more than we normally are, just because Jesus has a lot to say here. So what we're doing is just following what Jesus is saying in this moment. But we're going to be here and here and here and here. So just follow along. Um, as we unpack these three truths together. So the, so the first truth is this. As the true vine, as the true vine, because Jesus is the true vine, we must personally be found in him. Because he is the true vine, we must personally be found in him. Verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine because Jesus is what we cannot be. As much as we strive, as much as we work, as hard as we try to be moral and upright, as hard as we try to be good people, we fall short every time. And that is every story in this room. We fall short. We fall short again and again and again. So being found in him does not begin by learning what we have to do for God and then doing it. No, being found in him means that we personally believe in what Christ has already done for us. 
Let me say it again. Believing doesn't mean God tells us what to do and we do it. It means that we believe in what God in Christ has already done for us. So Jesus is saying, I am, I am, I am, over and over and over and over again. I am God. I'm the only one who can save you from your sins. Jesus is saying this. I love this. Jesus is saying, you're the branch, and that's all you can ever be is a branch. And you're like, well, that's not very cool. Branches don't do a whole lot. And Jesus is saying, all you are is a branch, but that's good news because you don't have to be anymore because I'm the vine. Therefore, because I'm the vine, you don't have to be anything more than what you are. That's good news for us. It should be really good news. And then Jesus says this. So listen to verse 2. Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So because Jesus is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves, what it involves is that Jesus will, according to his word, prune us. I bet you didn't see that coming, did you? Um, don't, don't like to, to hear that. But Jesus said this, if you don't bear fruit, you're going to be cut off. And if you do bear fruit, you're going to be cut back. You're going to be pruned. And of course, we're thinking to ourselves, why in the world, if we're bearing fruit, would he cut us back? Why would he prune us? And the answer is because he wants more fruit. He wants us to bear more fruit and more fruit. Yet the question is, what does it mean for us to be fruitful? What is the fruit that God is after? What is the fruit that Jesus is after when he says, I want you to bear fruit? Galatians 5, 22-23 puts it this way. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. And notice what Paul writes. He says the fruit of the Spirit. Because if I'm going to be honest with you, so many times we are guilty of saying this, the fruits of the Spirit are. And it's no, it's not plural, it's singular. Because what we do is we make them plural and we say, well, I'm good on this one and I'm good on this one and I'm good on this one, but patience, <laughs> um, you know, uh, peace, nah, not, not so much. Uh, self-control, yes, I got, got that one. And we, we break these down and we say, here I'm good, here I'm not, I just don't have that fruit. And that's not what he's saying here. No, the fruit is all of it. And if we try to break it down, here's what we're saying. If we try to break it down and say, I'm good here, I'm not good here, then what we are revealing is we're doing this in our own power. It's what we're revealing. We're doing it in our own power, and there's probably some missing links there. And let me show you what I mean by that. If you lack the Spirit of God, then you will not know the love of God. You will not know the love. And if you don't love, if you lack love, let me, let me just break it down here. If you lack love, you probably aren't walking in any real joy. If you aren't walking in joy, you're probably lacking in peace. If you're lacking in peace, you're probably not very strong at being patient. If you're not very patient, then you're probably not very kind. And if you're not very kind, then you will lack in goodness. You will lack in faithfulness. You will lack in gentleness. You will lack in self-control. And I know there's not a person here that when we hear Galatians 5, 22 and 23, thanks to ourselves, I'm nailing all of them. I've got them all down. There's not one of us who, 
who should say that. If you are, then that whole truthfulness thing, we've got to come back there. But the point is, if you're a child of God in this room, get this, because this is really good. If you're a child of God in this room, you are not what you once were, but you are also not what God wants you to be. So you are not what you once were, but you are not what you ultimately will be. So because of that, the Lord in his kindness will prune us so that we might grow in these areas so that we might bear fruit. I know that seems tough and it seems like something we don't like to hear. Um, yet don't quit yet. Like I said, we're going to be all over the place, so don't quit yet. Now look at verse 3. In verse 3, Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Just follow with me here. The cleansing of the disciples came because they believed the word of God. In James 1, we are told, Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So this is what they did. They believed the word of God, and this is what we do. We believe the word of God. And because of that, just like them, we are clean. We're found in him. We're pursuing him, and we are clean. We don't always feel clean, do we? We don't always feel clean. And it's human nature. Let me, let me just say this. It's human nature that if you feel like you've offended someone, you avoid them. Right? That's human nature. Even if you don't know what you did to them, there's a, a, there's a picture here where if you feel like there's something there, um, our, our default is we just kind of avoid. It's a, lot, a little easier to do. But what Jesus is saying is this. No, you're clean. Therefore, there's no reason to avoid me. There's no reason. You don't clean yourself in order to approach Jesus. You approach Jesus so that he will clean you. Let me say it again. You don't clean yourself so that you can approach Jesus. You approach him in the middle of your, in the midst of all of your dirtiness so that he might clean you. And let me just do this here. here let me give you a perfect picture of what this, this reality looks like in Christ. The Bible gives us a really good look at a guy named Simon Peter. He was a real uh, brazen, real aggressive ticking time bomb is what he was. Some of you in here can relate to him really, really well. For that, that is your life or that is my life. Just a ticking time bomb waiting to go off. And on the night Jesus was arrested, Jesus takes his disciples out to the garden. And on the way, he's talking to them and he's saying to them, hey guys, you are going to, you, all of you are going to scatter. You're going to leave me. And Peter says, no, Lord. Those guys, they're pretty shady. They're probably going to leave you. But I, I'm not going to leave you. Those guys, they're weak, but I'm not doing it. Even if I had to die for you, Jesus, I'm ready. And Jesus says, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, I don't know what you're talking about, Lord. And then think about what happens next. Here comes the soldiers ready to arrest Jesus. And what does Peter do? He grabs a sword and cuts off one of the guy's ears. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it shows us that Peter has no idea what to do with a sword. I mean, who cuts off an ear and not the shoulder? I mean, the thing, okay, understand this. Peter, in his infinite wisdom, in this moment, was not going after the guy's ear. He was trying to cut off the guy's head, and he missed. I mean, this is the point of what Peter is, but there's some kind of courage there, right? There's a little bit of courage, and in that moment, he's ready to die for Jesus. But have you ever thought about the fact that if Peter would have succeeded, let's just say Peter would have fought off every single Roman soldier, and if Peter would have gotten his way, 
Jesus would have never went to the cross and we would still be in our sins. Doesn't that show us that we sometimes don't have a clue? We don't, even, if we, even if we have a lot of passion, we still might not have a, a clue. And then the scene shifts here. And now it shifts to Jesus' trial. And Peter has found his way into the enemy camp. He's warming himself by the fire. And three different times, people come to him and say, aren't you one of them? Didn't you follow him? And of course, Peter denies and he, he curses. And then, of course, what we know is that the rooster crows. And Peter is reminded. Peter's reminded of the words of Christ. I would say this, it doesn't get any worse than to deny Christ during his darkest hour. And this is what he did. And yet fast forward post-resurrection. The disciples have now gone back to their day jobs. So Peter again is fishing. And so he's in the boat, he's fishing. And one of the disciples, one of them that are with him says, Hey, look at that guy walking on the shore. I think it's Jesus. And what does Peter do? Think about this. What does Peter do? Does Peter hide Take a net and hide behind it going, man, last time I saw him, I was doing some pretty rotten stuff, denying him, denouncing him. I don't need to be around him. Is that what Peter was doing? Did Peter jump out and hide under the boat saying, um, I hope he doesn't see me? No. Peter jumps into the water, swims to shore. While they're trying to figure out what to do, Peter is swimming to shore. He runs to Jesus and he falls on his knees at the feet of Christ. If anyone had any reason whatsoever to avoid Jesus, it was Peter, but he didn't. Why? Because he knew Jesus. He knew him. If you know him, you don't avoid him. You run to him. If you are a child of God, you have to understand your position in the presence of God. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you don't have to avoid him. You can run to him regardless of how guilty you feel. You can run to him because in him, hear this, in him, you're clean. You're clean. In him, you're clean. You, the questions are, have you been found by him? Have you been cleansed by him? Or are you avoiding him? We must personally be found in him. Somebody can't do that for you. It has to be a decision you have made on your own. Is that true of us? Then the second truth, because he is the vine, the true vine, we must continually abide in him. So we must abide in him. Look at these verses. Look at verse 4. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... So he keeps saying this over and over again, abide, abide. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Just over and over again, look at, the, look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. The only way that we as branches can live is if we attach ourselves to the vine. There is no life within the branch. Our only hope is attaching ourselves to Jesus. As we attach ourselves to him, his life then flows in us and his life flows through us. And I love what the word abide means here. Just listen to this. The word abide literally means to make your home in. 
to make your home in. So we are to abide in him. We are to abide in his love. We are to let his word abide in us. And the question for us this morning is this. Are you at home in Christ? Are you at home in Christ? And is Christ's word at home in us? Are you at home in Christ? Just imagine. Imagine if I were to go and buy a tree and I plant it in my front yard. And at the end of the first month, I go, you know what? I really don't like it here. So I I dig it up and I take it in the backyard and I plant it again. And after a month goes by, I say, you know what? I really don't like it there either. So I take it and I put it in another place in my backyard. and And after another month, I go, you know what? It looked better in the front yard. So I dig it up again and I plant it in the front yard. You know what? At best, my tree is going to be very confused. At worst, it's going to be dead. So think about this. This is a fitting description of how many people enter into their relationship with God. They are only planted in him briefly. And then they, they replant somewhere else. And then they replant somewhere else. And then they replant somewhere else. And there's either a sense of confusion there or, or lifelessness there. Are we abiding in him? Are we at home in him? Are we abiding in his love? I love what Jesus says in verse 9. As the fathers love me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. What an amazing statement. Just think of the father's love for the son. We can't even comprehend that kind of love. Can't even begin to to comprehend it. Yet Jesus says to us, make your home in that. Rest in that. Rest in my love, my father's love for you. Rest in that. Make your home in that. And this seems to be hard for us. It's hard for us to rest in God's love for us. To rest in his thoughts for us. Because you know what we believe? We believe that sometimes that God's acceptance is given to us as a reward for what we have done. And therefore we begin to say, well, I don't deserve the reward right now. This is where we have to understand that, listen, God's acceptance is not a reward for what we do. It's a gift despite who we are. It's a gift despite what we have done, despite who we are. Just, Just follow with me here. And on the surface, verse 10 seems to contradict what I just said. Because then Jesus says in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. Let me just say this. Just think about this. Did Jesus earn the love of God, or did He already have the love of God? Okay, we would say he already had the love of God. He didn't earn the love of God. Well, here's the question for us. Did we, do we earn the love of God or do we already have the love of God? And the answer is very clear in Romans 5, 8. God says, or the word of God says, God proved his love for us that while we were still in our sins, sitting in our sins, sinking in our sins, Christ died for us. Therefore, we don't earn the love of God. He gives us his love. He gives it to us. And we praise God for that amazing reality. But this is why we have a hard time with this principle. is because we read the verse wrong. Here's the way we read the verse. We read the verse that Jesus says, if you obey me, then I'll love you. That's the way we read the verse. If you obey me, then I will love you. And instead, this verse is this. As you grow in your love for me, As you abide in me, then you will obey me. 
That's the picture of the verse. You abide in me, you, you grow in me, you love me, then in your love for me, you will obey me. It's the picture of what has to, to happen. Do you know that? Do you, are you walking in that? Is there obedience attached to the things that you profess? I love the way that Pastor Francis Chan puts this. He says, words that we give without action have never been acceptable to Jesus. And then he says this, when my daughter comes to me and I say, go clean your room, she knows better than to come back um, a couple of hours later and say to me, hey dad, I memorized what you said. You said, go clean your room. What am I going to say? Oh, good job? That's what I wanted? No. And she's also not going to come back to me and say, dad, I can say, go clean your room in Greek. Listen, cleanio. No, that, that's not going to fly. And she's not going to come to me and say, my friends and I are going to gather together every week and we're going to study and talk about what it would look like if I actually clean my room. And what he's doing, he's making fun of what we do. Just so you know, he's making fun of what we do. We talk about obedience a lot, we just don't do it. We talk about loving him a lot, we just don't always show it. But then he says this, no, the command is clear, just clean your room. If that kind of thinking wouldn't work with us, it's not going to work with Jesus. But just follow with me here. You don't give your children commands so, they, so that they will be your children. You give your children rules because they are your children. Just think about that. You give them commands. You give them rules not so that they will be your children. You do so because they are your children. And I always hated that line of, um, you know, well, so-and-so can do it. And I, I said that quite a bit. And my dad would always say, well, I'm not so-and-so's parents. And if I were, they'd be better. <laughs> they'd be a lot better off than they are right now. But, I mean, we use that. But the point is, listen, we have rules because we are children of God. And we walk in that. Therefore, as we abide in his love for us, it will be accompanied by obedience to him. So abiding in him produces fruit. Abandoning him produces Nothing. So abiding in him produces fruit. Abandoning him produces nothing. Look back at verse 5 before we move on. Verse 5 says this. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. The whole picture here that Jesus is getting after is that if you are a child of God, you will bear fruit. And if you aren't bearing fruit, you are not a child of God. Um, email me all you want to, take it up with Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you bear fruit, you're my child, you don't bear fruit. I don't know you. I don't know you. Because my children bear fruit. And then Jesus says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. And let me just dive into that real quick, because nothing doesn't mean nothing. So just follow with me here. Nothing doesn't mean nothing because clearly a lot of people who aren't connected to Jesus do a lot of things, even churchy things. So it doesn't mean nothing. The word nothing here means nothing of eternal value. So when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, what he's saying is you can't do anything that will last forever apart from me. Can't do anything that will last forever apart from me. And isn't there a desire in all of us to be a part of something that's going to make a difference? There's a desire in us to be a part of something that's going to matter. And what Jesus is saying is this. I'm not just offering you an opportunity to be a part of something that will matter. 
in five years from now. I'm offering you an opportunity to be a part of something that will matter forever and ever and ever and ever. That's what Jesus is placing before us. So it begs the question again, are we at home in Christ and is his word at home in us? We must continually abide in him, be at home in him, attach ourselves to him. And then lastly, because he is the true vine, we will eternally find joy in him. And I have to say that with a smile on my face. We will eternally find joy in him. Because let me, let me put it this way. If you are here this morning and you are constantly in your own strength trying to be more than you are, or if you are in your own strength trying to do better, you will exhaust yourself. In fact, I believe that there's going to be some people here this morning that you are on the verge of total exhaustion because you're trying to do this whole thing apart from Christ in you. You're trying to do it on your own. I tell you, most of my teenage years was, was uh, a lesson in futility. I tried to do the right things, but I did not do them in the, the power of Christ. And let me tell you where it got me nowhere. It got me nowhere whatsoever. And I can guarantee there's no joy in that. The answer is not try harder. The answer is not do better. The answer is that Christ has done for you what you cannot do for yourselves. He has become what we cannot become. And Jesus has spoken. Listen to this. He said to us, I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You know what we know? And we... We miss this, but we know this. We know there is a difference between happiness and joy. We know that, don't we? There's a difference between happiness and joy. One is worthy of our pursuing, and the other is not worthy of our pursuing. Happiness is so frail. Happiness is so fragile. Um, happiness can be affected by our external circumstances and our situations. We can wake up happy. We can jump in our car. Someone can cut us off in traffic, and happiness is gone. It's gone. Or we can make it to work um, singing, I've got the joy, joy, joy. Nobody cut us off. We get to work. We walk in and our co-worker says something to us and our happiness is gone. It is out the window. We know how that works. And sometimes we have no idea what happened. We have no idea where happiness even went. Yet joy is so much different than happiness. In fact, joy is not built on external circumstances. Joy is built on internal spiritual realities. Meaning, I belong to Jesus and he belongs to me. Therefore, the world cannot touch me. I belong to him. He belongs to me. I am positioned in his presence and in the midst of my worst day, in the midst of my worst circumstances, listen to this, I have a resting place. I rest in him. I rest in his love for me. This matters because the God of the universe is serious about our joy. He's serious about us having a deep-rooted confidence in the fact that he has us. He's serious about us having a deep-rooted confidence in the fact that he loves us, that he is for us, that he will make a way for us. Again, I ask you this morning, are you at home in him? 
Are you in this moment resting in him? Oh, that I pray. I pray that you are. Pray that you will. For we see, I believe this whole series is summed up in just this, this picture of what we look at today. We must be found in him. We must be. Have you been found in him? Have you turned away from trusting in yourself and put your trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Your trust alone in him. Have you done that? Then are you abiding in him? Are you staying connected to him? This isn't Jesus saves you and says, go do your thing. No, Jesus saves us and says, stay, I, me in you, you in me. This isn't, this isn't Jesus, take my hand, we can do this. Jesus goes, no, I, I don't have any, I don't have any, uh, there's nothing in me that gets excited about your plans, Micah. I'm not excited about your plans. Instead, this is, Micah, let me dwell in you. Let me dwell in you. You dwell in me and let's see what happens. This is the picture. Are we abiding in him? And then are we, are we finding joy in him at this moment? I think so many times our prayer needs to be, and my prayer is Psalm 51. God, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. I wasn't planning on saying this, but let me go ahead and say this. I left out of here a Sunday and had a great day. And the Lord just so amazed by the way the word served me throughout the week. And then something happened Sunday night. And here I am, wake up Monday morning, I'm depressed, down. And, of course, I, you know, mom comes up, what's wrong? And I'm, I'm good. And, uh, you know... As mom does, she calls Kelly and says, you might, might want to call your brother to find out what's going on. So she calls me, and I go, no, I'm, I'm good. Everything's good. And then Kelly calls Misty, so Misty calls me and goes, what's going on? They say something's going on with you. What's going on? And I'm like, can I just, can I just um, waller in this for a moment? without? Can I just stay out of my business? And then a few minutes later, Robert comes by, and he goes, hey, man, what's going on? And I'm like, are you, are, are you, and let me, let me say I love my family, and I'm so thankful for that. And, and, of course, they speak words into me, and at that moment, you don't want to hear them. You know what I mean? You don't want to hear them. They're true. They're exactly what you need to hear, but in that moment, you don't want to hear them. And it got to a point where Sunday night I was reading, doing some work, and I read something, or, or, or Monday night, excuse me, and it said this. The day Saturday between Sunday or between Friday and Sunday shows us that God's silence does not equal God's absence. God's silence does not equal God's absence. And I started dwelling on that. And the more I dwelled on it, the more God just lifted me up and lifted me up and lifted me up. And I kept dwelling in that and dwelling in that. And Misty was like, keep doing that because it's good. Keep, keep doing that because you're, you know, everything's right again. Keep doing that. Keep dwelling in that. That God is with us. He's for us. He loves us. Rest in that. I don't even know why I said that this morning except to say maybe that's you. And if that's you today, rest in that. Rest in who he is. Not that everything in your life is going well. Not that it's happening the way you want it to happen. But rest in the fact that he is. Therefore, you don't have to be. You don't have to be. I am not, but I know I am. Say that with me one more time. I am not, but I know I am. Oh, that you know him. If you can go ahead and stand with me. I'm going to go ahead and ask Brother Frank and... Musicians to come forward, we are about to enter into a time of invitation.
Let's pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, that we can continue to look to who Jesus is, his claims that he is God, that he did for us what we could never do for ourselves so that we can find life in him, joy in him, hope in him, peace in him, strength in him, gladness, God, all those things that we need, Lord, we find in him and in him alone. God, I pray for anyone in this room today that has never trusted you, Jesus, as their Savior and Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray for others in this room, Lord, who at this moment are trying to do it on their own and are failing uh, one time after another after another. And I just pray that today those words abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in my love. Abide in what I've done. Abide in me. Let my word abide in you. May those words just ring out. May we find ourselves at home, Jesus, in you, in your love for us. And Lord, restore to all of us the joy of your great salvation. Lord, help us. God, deliver us. Deliver us, I pray, from walking around as, as if the world's against us. Forgive us, God, for walking around and thinking, oh, poor old me. Forgive us for that. And help us instead to understand your word says that if God, if you're for us, who can be against us? And your word answers that no one or nothing. And there's joy in that. God, just... Restore to us the joy of your salvation, we pray. And we say all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.